it's, it's, if you encounter someone who wasn't here today, you can just teach them everything that I just said. Um, uh, it, it's not just planning for that moment in that, you know, where, where there needs to be a, a growth in responding, you know, instantly to a situation. It's also cultivating a lifestyle that is, uh, in a sense, breathing the air of Christ-likeness. Uh, or maybe to put it another way, uh, when you think about um, planting a seed in soil that you want to grow, whatever kind of seed you, you're trying to grow, uh, you don't just wait until the sun comes out before you, you, know, you water it, right? You're, you're regularly watering it. Uh, you're maybe fertilizing it. You're, you're trying to prepare the soil uh, all day, every day, if you will, so that when the circumstances are right, it will respond with growth. And I'm saying that as someone who has a very brown thumb. So if I got that wrong, <laughs> you can correct me. Um, but uh, the process of change is not just in those moments of temptation, but it's all of life. So we're renewing our mind on a day-by-day basis. We're seeking to grow in Christ as a manner of life. So again, if you have an opportunity to walk alongside someone and minister to them to help them grow, you, you could be thinking about what... What lifestyle changes does this person need to make so that they're growing in Christ? Um, and, and of course, it's not about legalism or you know, living to some uh, standard uh, as a matter of law and righteousness, but, but how can this person pr- pursue growth and change as a manner of life, not just in the instances of life? Now, let me pause there to see if there's any uh, thoughts of that stirred questions. or Ron? <coughs> Well, you can comment to this is whether it's good advice or bad advice or anywhere in between. But at least personally, I sort of uh, attempt to apply the Japanese concept of Kaizen, where I kind of analyze, how did I get into this pit? And slowly through sanctification, working back to the point of, hey, here's where it all started. Let's see if I can nip it in the bud there so we don't get down here again. <laughs> so that's what I think yeah. to do as, as, as I find myself in that situation, how can I peel it back to avoid it? The planning ahead, you say, right. like, okay, I realize we're going down the wrong path right now, stop. <laughs> right, no, exactly. That, um, uh, assessing a struggle uh, and trying to find the source is essentially what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly... Uh, right in terms of a helpful way to determine, you know, where where did I get off track here? Um, you know, when someone who struggles with anger, when when they get to that point where yelling comes out, that's not the point of sin. That's not where sin happened. That's 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 where sin, uh, the fruit of sin, has now been. I'm trying to think of the right word there. What's the right word? Yeah, revealed, manifested. <laughs> but the sin is in the heart, and so, and and uh, you know whether that's that happened five minutes ago or thirty seconds ago or just their whole uh, heart, uh, what's going on in their heart in general. Um, yeah, you you want to be able to to trace back to the root of it, and th- just to bring clarity to that, this doesn't relate to necessarily what some in the psychotherapeutic world would be 
trying to find the source of sin in someone's childhood. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about something different here. Um, it is true that someone's manner of life, their responses, their uh, habits, uh, the, the way that they've learned to engage in life have some kind of root you know, early on in life because uh, they learned by observation from their parents or they uh, learn just in their own soul to respond to certain situations a particular way. You know, maybe they had a, a difficult home growing up and, and it was more, they weren't a party to it in terms of maybe their, their parents were constantly arguing and fighting and so they just learned as a, as a um, protective mechanism to whenever there's tension to just run away to their room. And so as an adult, then instead of dealing with conflicts, they just try and run away. Right, so you could see an easy connection there of how someone may have responded when they were young and how that developed into adulthood. Um, understanding those dynamics can be helpful, but it's it's not necessary because, based on what God's word says, we can look at a person now and say, "What are your sinful responses? What is your thinking, and how can you glorify Christ now?" You don't necessarily need to unpack everything from, you know, decades ago. Though that can potentially be a helpful just understanding of, oh, this is why this is a tendency to me. And because it's been this way for decades in my life, that's why it's so hard to overcome. You know, this didn't, this wasn't just something that sprung up five minutes ago in my life. Uh, so there, there can be a helpful understanding, but it's not necessary. Always remember, and this is a, a radically different uh, way of thinking than the secular psychotherapeutic world. Your past, what happened to you, your past, does not determine you. The explanation for how you think, uh, how you respond today, who you are, is not um, uh, what happened to you in the past. Rather, it's how you responded to what happened to you in the past. So that's to say that your past is massively influential. Uh, because it was in the circumstances of your past that out of your own heart, you responded. Right? Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the, uh, out of the heart come uh, immoralities, dissensions. Uh, I'm forgetting the the list of things, but everything flows out of our heart. You and I are souls, uh, and so we're not passive. We are active. We are interpreters of life. We're interpretive of our circumstances. We are designed to be worshipers, and so we engage in our circumstances. And so how we responded to a situation is really more determinative than the actual facts of what happened to us. Um, if you want to think more about that, you know we can we can talk more about that some other time. Um, I would just point you back to the. Uh, I think we talked about it a little bit more in the last class. Um, how how to grow and change. I would recommend a book called "Putting Your Past in Its Place" uh, by Steve Viers. Putting your past in its place, um, but but that's the reality of it. It's it's our response. Now that's not to say that. Um, that's not to ignore, I should say, that's not to ignore the reality of suffering. 
Um, but it's simply to affirm that as soul beings, as uh, heart, uh, um, uh, as, as beings that are driven by the heart, our, our heart is shaped uh, by how we respond to our circumstances. So our circumstances are influential, but we can't blame our response on somebody else's actions. Uh, yeah, Steve Byers, V-I-A-R-S. Um, what other people do to us, um, or the circumstances that other people create uh, in which we suffer, uh, they are responsible before the Lord, but we are responsible for how we respond to that. Right? You just think about a, an example like persecution. Um, you know, people committing acts of wickedness and evil uh, out of hatred for Christ, torturing, murdering believers. Uh, a believer cannot blame their persecutors for maybe if, if they respond sinfully. Uh, they are responsible before the Lord. How are you going to respond when somebody attacks you, when somebody persecutes you? Um, and that same principle applies in every aspect of life. We are, we are not responsible for what other people do. This gets into the next point of clarifying responsibility that we talked about last week. We are responsible for our own responses uh, and our own reactions. And how we tend to respond becomes a habit of life, um, become our, our tendencies moving forward. And all of that rises out of the heart. So that's why the mind, the heart has to be renewed. That's why we have to put off the old self, put on the new self. All right. So you can only say, uh, you may be really angry, or you may be really depressed, you may be really hurt. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I think you could, you could say that, uh, and, and we all understand what that means. Um, uh, you know, someone, uh, let's say, yells at us, just demeans us in some way. Well, that, uh, that has a natural effect of causing hurt, pain, grief in our own heart. Um, and so the, the emotional reaction that we have to somebody else's actions uh, is how we have processed their actions based on what's going on in our own heart already, based on our beliefs, convictions, desires, priorities, values our will. So even our emotional response is based on what's in our heart, because another person could respond and be like, yeah, I don't care what you think. <laughs> like, um, I heard, um, you know, this, this person, he never gets angry, really, like he never yell or he, right. he was just such an even temper until this other person come along and he really provoked him. And, and I actually really heard, like, I've never seen him get angry yeah. like this. Yeah. So well, basically, then it's that person's. So, again, what the the person who provoked, they are creating an environment, in which or to which the heart is responding. So the classic illustration is, you know, I have tea in here, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, if I shook this, uh, and tea got spilled on the floor, we could ask the question, why did tea get spilled on the floor? And the common answer is, well, because you shook the mug. 
And that wouldn't, that, that's partially true. My shaking of the mug would be creating the opportunity for what's in the mug to come onto the floor. But you could ask, well, why did tea come and spill on the floor as opposed to milk or coffee or water? And the answer is obviously because there's tea in the mug. And that's just simply a reflection of what's in uh, is what will come out depending on how you, um, how you uh, in- engage with it and, and manipulate the, the, the cup. And so it is with the heart that uh, what other people do is they create an environment, they create a situation to which the heart responds. That doesn't mean that the, how the heart responds in a given situation uh, manifests somebody's overall character. So you use an example, and I think it's a helpful one, uh, of somebody who is not normally given to anger. But given the right circumstances, anger comes out. Well, Jesus was exactly the same way. Uh, Jesus was not a man who was known as going around tossing tables over and whipping you know, animals and you know, clearing things. But he did it once, actually twice, beginning in the end of his ministry. So um, what's in our heart is, is a, there, there are, um, there are, there's character that's in our heart to which uh, we commonly respond to things. So somebody who has the character of an angry man, an angry person, will respond to, to many annoyances and, and circumstances with anger. But then there's other times when a person is not given to anger, but given the right circumstances, anger will come out. Um, and so uh, we just have to recognize that I responded in anger because of what's inside my heart. And maybe anger is the right response in a particular situation, uh, in the sense of righteous indignation. Yeah, on a continuous, that's a righteous right. anger, but right. it's not necessarily this person is like, he did really hurtful things, and then blame you for right. me so that I never do that to anybody else yeah. but then you really provoke yeah. me. So yeah, and that's what I would say we, we can't do. We can't say you made me sin mm-hmm. because they can't make you sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they can do is create an environment where the temptation to sin is really, really uh, powerful, but they can't ultimately make you sin. Um, and again, you think of a situation like persecution where someone is being tortured and beaten and, and harmed and we're, uh, we, we can't say that, um, you know, if a person responds angrily that, oh, you made me do that. It's just, it's, it's in the heart uh, because God often helps a believer in that situation to not respond with, with anger, but to endure. Uh, and so um, that principle of what, what comes out of us uh, is not the is not the um, responsibility of the other person. It's it's our own responsibility. Any other thoughts or questions about that principle? Or anything else I've said so far? All right, we've got to move forward. <laughs> All right, we, we talked about clarifying responsibility. You know, we had those circles of there's the things that God gives to us that are our responsibility the expectations that he has clearly revealed in his word of uh, how we are to act and respond in this world to live according to the standard of righteousness. And we have that here in Ephesians uh, 4, 5, and 6, uh, as well as many other places. And so when God calls us to do something, to, to live a certain way, to be a certain kind of person, we are responsible to 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, live that out. But there are many things that we are concerned about uh, that we have no control over, and we are to let the Lord work His purposes in our circumstances or in the lives of others according to His will. It's not up to us to control other people you know, by manipulation or intimidation or whatever other means we might use. Uh, we need to recognize what's our responsibility for us to obey the Lord as, and what's not our responsibility for us to entrust to the Lord and His purposes. And just one additional thought from what we said last week to consider here is, uh, especially when I'm ministering to someone, either a couple uh, in, with marriage difficulties or just somebody who is involved uh, with others, in their circumstances, one of the um, common things that, that I'll hear is, I'm doing what I'm responsible to do. You know, I'm um, doing the homework assignments that, that, that I'll give them, or I'm, you know, uh, putting things into practice. I'm trying to do all these things, but my spouse isn't, <laughs> or this other person isn't changing, or my circumstances aren't changing. I, I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. But others or my circumstances aren't changing. And the thought is, what's the point of me doing things if this other person or my circumstances aren't going to change? And when you hear that, uh, that's when you know their motivation for changing has been off. Because if your motivation is to glorify God, it doesn't matter how other people are or aren't changing. It doesn't matter whether or not your circumstances change. If your goal is to glorify God, then you will glorify God no matter what the circumstances are. And uh, if things are getting worse, then you have even more opportunity to pursue God's glory in your response. Uh, If things are getting better, then you can glorify God and how you respond to improved circumstances, or if they don't change at all, you can glorify God in how you're enduring and persevering through that. Um, But we don't relinquish responsibility because other people aren't changing or circumstances aren't changing, nor do we take more responsibility uh, when we think we're changing and we want to see more change in the lives of others. We need to just stick with what the Lord has given to us uh, to be responsible for and continue to entrust other things and other people uh, to Him. Alright, let's then talk about two other principles to be thinking about as we're seeking to help uh, someone else. Turn to Second uh, Peter chapter 1. What we want to talk about here out of 2 Peter chapter 1 is that as we're walking alongside someone, helping them to grow and change, in order to avoid um, various pitfalls, it's essential that we help other people grow in their identity in Christ. We want to help people grow in their identity in Christ. We don't want people to engage in a changed lifestyle as a matter of legalistic, um, you know, a way of living, uh, the, that it's duty per se, and that somehow, you know, they have to do this if they're going to be uh, pleasing to Christ. They have to do this if they're going to be uh, making it to heaven. 
uh, or you know whatever uh, way in which somebody's distorted thinking in that way. Um, we we want uh, ourselves and others to be growing and changing out of an understanding of our identity in Christ. So let me read Second Peter. We'll read verses three down to verse nine. Uh, verse ten. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of its sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has cleansed that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. I just want you to keep your eyes there on the passage as we make some comments here. Going to the end there in verse 9, notice how he says, for whoever lacks these qualities. Uh, or verse 8, there are, there's the possibility of, of being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you think about your own Christian walk, or you think about maybe someone that you know, I think those are realities that we can all say, yeah, that's true of me now, or that's been true of me in the past. Uh, I've lacked some of these qualities. Uh, you think about that list there in verses 5 to, to 7. Uh, or if you're walking alongside someone else, I, I see how they're lacking in some of these qualities. And I see how sometimes in my life I've been ineffective you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, but man, it just seems like there's no effect uh, in, in, in all of that. It's, it's not benefiting me in some way. And as I'm trying to live my life, I'm, maybe I'm trying to, to live for Christ, but I'm failing. I'm constantly battling sin. I'm ineffective. And along similar lines, unfruitful. I'm not seeing the fruit of the Spirit being borne out in my life as I'm, as I'm living. I'm seeing the opposite. Uh, These are things that are real possibilities in the Christian life. To be ineffective, to be unfruitful, to lack these particular qualities. I mean, he's obviously writing here to believers. And he's telling them, hey, you need to add these things into your life. uh, If they're not already there. And so, uh, the reality is we can find ourselves in seasons of life where this is true of us. Where we lack these qualities, we're ineffective, and we're unfruitful. So the question we could ask is, why, uh, why do we find ourselves in those situations? What, what is it that creates uh, that season of life 
in us? I think the answer, pretty obviously, is exactly what he says in verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The reason we lack these qualities in our life, the reason that we are ineffective and unfruitful, is because we have forgotten who we are. You know, he uses the language of having been forgiven, but the reality is that the forgiveness of our sins uh, explodes into a plethora of identities and realities of who we are in Christ. And so verse 10, the conclusion is, rather than being forgetful, rather than being nearsighted and blind, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. In other words, confirm that you are in Christ. Uh, Make sure that you know who you are. And and notice that he doesn't say there in verse 10, make sure that you have believed in Christ. He doesn't put the the, uh, onus on you in your faith in what you've done to put yourself into Christ. He he places the the grounding of this in what God has done. Because the calling which is a reference to the effectual calling of Christ by which all true believers are brought into Christ. Uh, that's that's an, a calling by the Holy Spirit, the effectual calling. Election is a work of God whereby He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. This is the work of God, and He's saying, confirm that this is true of you, that you have been called and you have been elected. In other words, again, confirm that you are in Christ. Confirm that you are a child of God. Confirm that you are a new creature in Christ. Uh, Remember who you are. Remember what Christ has done for you. What God has done for you in Christ. If we forget who we are in Christ, uh, we we will just naturally be lost. We'll we'll go down any, any path of sin because we will forget all of the resources that God has done for us, or that God has provided us. We'll forget all the work that God has done for us. Uh, this is, you know, it speaks to the uh, principle of the unforgiving slave that Jesus uh, gave that parable in Matthew 18. Uh, that slave who was forgiven much, but he refused to forgive uh, a, a tiny amount, relatively speaking. Um, us knowing who we are in Christ, us knowing what God has done for us, is what propels us forward in the Christian life. And it's simply our forgetfulness that makes it difficult for us to grow and change. I don't know if this is a helpful illustration, but you think about, you know, a um, a prince, princess, whatever, somebody who is a daughter of a king or a queen, and the Extraordinary resources that are available to them as someone in that position, in the royal line. Uh, Not only do they have extraordinary resources available to them in the course of their life, but they have an extraordinary future. You know, that when their mom or dad dies, they may be, you know, they'll be the next one on on the throne. And we can intuitively understand the tragedy of a person who's in that situation, who's, who has virtually unlimited resources, at least 
compared to what's, what anyone would need, uh, who has uh, massive potential in life of, of what will be coming to them in terms of some kind of inheritance, uh, the tragedy of them thinking that none of that's true and living as though you know, they have to fend for themselves in this, in this world. And so they go, you know, get a, a job that they're like, oh, I just, you know, I, I got to make my own money and, you know, you got to try and fend for myself and I don't know what's going to happen in the future, so I just got to figure out life on my own. And, you know, um, and obviously we want to affirm, this is where the illustration breaks down, <laughs> we want to affirm, you know, hard work and learning skills and <laughs> all of that. But what I'm saying is, uh, if, if everything has been provided for you and that person kind of like, ignores that and tries to fend for themselves, they're, in a sense, they're denying what, what has already been provided for you. They're, they're rejecting uh, what's, uh, what is true about them. Um, and in a similar way, when we forget who we are in Christ, we tend to think, um, I, I don't have what I need. Uh, I don't have the strength that I need to overcome the challenges of my life. I don't have the resources that I need to endure. Um, we, we can adopt for ourselves identities that are simply not true. Right? We, we can adopt for ourselves. I heard this, uh, I think it was this week. No. Yeah, it was this week. Whenever it was. Um, I am an addict. A person identifying themselves and saying my identity who I am as a, as a human being is I am an addict. Um, well, that's, that's a hopeless identity. You know, that, that's the kind of identity that at best one can hope for is um, uh, keeping that sin at arm's length. But always thinking, I have to keep my arm there, otherwise if I, if I remove my arm, I'm just going to fall right back into that sin. Um, forgetting who we are in Christ leads us to, to think, I cannot stop sinning. You know, a person who's been battling sin for an extended period of time in life, decades, I cannot stop. I cannot stop. That's a false identity. That's forgetting who a person is in Christ. Because if, if we have been made new, we are new creatures in Christ, if we do have the indwelling Holy Spirit, if we've been made alive in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin. That, that chain of slavery to sin has been cut. Right? Romans 6. Uh, we've, been, uh, we've died with Christ, we're raised with Christ, and now we are slaves of God. Also, we can have other kinds of identities, like, I am the king. <laughs> I'm the queen. And we, you know, by assuming that identity, we then want everything else to be according to our will, right? So we control the people around us. We do everything we can to control and manipulate the circumstances. We want everything to go our way. Why? Because I am the king of my life. Uh, uh, my home is my castle and everybody has to do what I say. And the Bible says that, right? Because you, wife, you have to submit and kids, you have to submit. And uh, that, that's a false identity, <laughs> Not one of us is a king or a queen. We are slaves, right? We're slaves of Christ. 
we might be a father, we might be a mother, we might have roles, we might have responsibilities in how we relate to one another. There might be a, 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 a kind of hierarchy in, in the home that, it, that God's design reveals. But even within that, those who have authority are entrusted, delegated that authority for the purpose of the welfare of others, not for their own personal gain. So that idea of being a king or a queen, and obviously people may not may or may not use that language, but sometimes they will act as though that is their um, identity. Or there might be someone who adopts for themselves this identity of, I am nothing. I'm worthless. I have no value. I have no contribution to this world. Where does that lead? Depression, suicide... Well, that's a false identity. Uh, We have, at a bare minimum, inherent dignity and value because we are human beings made in the image of God. But as those have been made new in Christ, we are children of God. We are inheritors of an eternal um, inheritance. And uh, there's so much that is true of us that it would be false to say, I am nothing. So we need to help those uh, that we're ministering to to have a right identity in Christ. And I would commend to you a a small little book. Some of you men are familiar with it. Uh, Who Am I? Who Am I? By Jerry Bridges. Uh, It's not a very thick book. Um, It's shorter than than I would wish. Uh, But it's a helpful little book that just walks through who we are in Christ. Um, Because again, when we're trying to help someone grow and change, we're not just simply trying to solve a problem or overcome a sin. We're trying to help someone grow in Christ. Mm -hmm. And that happens as as we grow in our identity. All right, with the remaining time here, um, let me talk about accountability. Uh, Flip over to Galatians chapter 6. Here in Galatians chapter 6, he says, Brothers, or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. When we think about accountability, what we're, what we're wanting to aim at is a relationship where a person is being helped and walk alongside in the process of overcoming their sin. Uh, when, when we typically practice accountability, this has been more my background, especially as a teenager in youth group, in college, um, the idea of accountability was, hey, let's, let's establish what we're aiming for, what kind of standard of life we want to we wanna accomplish. You know, I don't want to sin in this way, don't want to sin in that way. Okay, now we're agreed together kind of what we're, what we're aiming for. Now let's hold each other accountable to that. What does that look like in practice? Well, let's get together once a week and ask each other, have you, have you failed? <laughs> or how many times did you fail this week? 
And that's our form of accountability. Yeah, I failed once or twice this week. And, well, you just, you know, keep going, keep going. Let's get together next week. Well, did you fail this week? Yeah, I failed this week, you know. And so it's really this, after the fact, uh, checking to see how many times there's been failure, you know, maybe celebrating if there's been success, but it, it's, it's uh, that's all it is. It's, it's kind of a checking up on someone without actually walking alongside them. What, what Paul is communicating here is that when someone is caught in a transgression, and the word caught there means to be trapped in a net like a fish. So he's not talking about someone being you know, caught red-handed. He's talking about someone who is uh, uh, enveloped in their sin such that they can't get themselves out. So if you, if you encounter someone who's in that situation, who is so deep in their own mire that they are unable to pull themselves out, he says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And that strongly implies that there is uh, um, ongoing effort to help someone overcome their transgression that they are trapped in. And of course, he says there, be, keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the, the relationship that's required to help someone overcome their sin, to get untangled from their sin, is, is an ongoing relationship walking alongside one another. Where if you think about the, you know, somebody trapped in a, in a fishnet, uh, you, you have to go through and you know, cut the string and try and you know, untangle the mess that, that they're in. And so that requires, again, intentionality, thoughtfulness, carefulness, uh, gentleness, as he says there. And so what, when you think about accountability uh, on, in practical ways, I, w- I want you to think about these words if you're taking notes. Accountability provides structure where you're, you're helping someone. You're not telling them what to do, but you're walking alongside them in dialogue, creating a structure for their life that will help them be successful in battling sin. You're walking alongside them. You're helping them think about things that they haven't thought about. You know, they're, they're so trapped in their sin that they, they can't think of a different way of, of living. And so you're, you can be helpful to them. And, well, let's think about this, this structure of life, this ca- uh, schedule for your week, or, or whatever it is that's needed uh, for, uh, for helping them overcome that. Um, I mean, just as an example of how sometimes simple things don't come into our minds when we're in the midst of a situation ourselves. I was talking to a, a dad a number of years ago who was struggling with their teenager using technology um, outside the, ba- the boundaries of the family rules, and uh, particularly a laptop. And uh, he's like, ah, you know, he keeps you know, playing video games, whatever it was he was doing. And I just said to him, have you thought about changing the password to the laptop? <laughs> He's like, I never thought of that. <laughs> I'm just like, yep, that's just an easy way to keep a kid off a, off a laptop is just change the password. Um, I mean, so again, sometimes we just we find ourselves so trapped in a situation that we don't think about even the simple things. So as an accountability partner, if you will, you can help someone think about the structure that will be helpful to them. Uh, second word would be guidance along the same lines, so that uh, with a structure you're guiding them uh, in their life. There's there's ongoing conversation as they're encountering life, encountering situations. You can be there to help them, remind them, 
Um, there's assistance, structure, guidance, assistance. You know, sometimes you can say, you know, um, when you find yourself in a moment where you think you might be tempted, why don't you call me? Uh, and I'll pray with you, I'll encourage you, I'll remind you of you know, what we've talked about. Uh, let, let me help you. Let, let, let's do this together. Or let me go with you into that environment and maybe my presence will be helpful in, in strengthening you to resist temptation. Uh, you can consider, is there a way that I can practically be with this person, in, uh, actually in person or over the phone? How can I assist this person? Um, I know a man who um, had a wonderful friend who he would call and, hey, I'm going to be alone tonight. Um, I just I have these things to do, but I know I'm, I'm probably going to be tempted to you know, look at things on the Internet that I shouldn't. So uh, I just wanted to let you know that that's the situation I'm in. I'm by myself. Uh, can you pray with me and for me that the Lord would give me strength to you know, focus on, on what I need to do? Uh, that's, that's seeking assistance uh, when when you know that there's a weakness there. Uh, and then encouragement. Uh, providing encouragement. Uh, not just, again, on the once a week when somebody's done well, but all along the way. Maybe sending them reminders on a daily basis, a, a Bible verse, or just a word of encouragement. Hey, just a reminder, I'm praying for you. And hey, I'm here when, whenever you need me. Uh, just some way to encourage them on a regular basis so that they know that you're, you're walking with them. And then finally, warning warning for somebody who is continuing down that path of sin continue to choose to indulge in temptation uh, accountability requires warning that person and uh, helping them to understand the seriousness of their sin you know using biblical passages ideally um, thinking helping them think through the consequences of their sin um, and you know, what, what could happen if they continue down this path. So it's not all positive. There needs to be warning if, if there's a need for that. So true accountability provides structure. It provides guidance, assistance, encouragement, and warning. And again, that's, that's an ongoing relationship. Uh, that's, that's how we live out. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but uh, Hebrews chapter 3, we've, we've mentioned it at various times the last couple classes where Paul says, in verse, or rather, the author of Hebrews says in verse 13, But exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we're to be daily exhorting each other, and that doesn't have to be entirely negative, uh, but uh, speaking the truth and love to one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need that for each other. We need that encouragement, that help that assistance and guidance and warning. But to close, keep this in mind. If the Lord has put you in a position where you can walk alongside someone for helping them grow and change for their growth in Christ, understand that accountability, counsel, you know, whatever you can do to walk alongside them, it's, it's not going to work if they don't want to change. Um, we've been really focusing this whole class on how can you walk alongside someone, but just understand that if someone doesn't want to change, they're not going to change. 
Um, and it's not up to you coming back to the responsibility. It's not up to you to control them, manipulate them, force them to change. If their heart is not in a position where they are desiring change, nothing you can do will change that. That's where the Holy Spirit alone can uh, needs to work and and uh, change their uh, their desires. So. Uh, specifically accountability, when you think about accountability, that in and of itself is not the solution for someone who doesn't want to change. You know, the answer is not, I just need more accountability. Um, if someone is continuing to habitually sin, they, they're thinking, I just need more accountability. No, you're sinning because you want to sin, especially if it's a pattern of life. Accountability is not going to change that. Um, I mean, Brian and I have worked with a gentleman who we've repeatedly said many, many times, hey, call us. If you're in a moment of temptation, call us. If you think you might be tempted, call us. Never gotten a phone call. At least I haven't. Yeah, yeah, you haven't either. So if someone doesn't want to change, if they don't want that accountability, uh, whatever you provide is not going to be helpful. And it's just a reminder to us that uh, we're dealing in the realm of uh, spiritual uh, life. That again, someone, we, we all live out of our heart. And so if someone is not wanting to change, if that's what's in their heart, uh, that the Holy Spirit has to change their desires. All right. We're over time from where I want to be, but we technically have a few minutes. Any, any particular thoughts or comments? Brian. Yeah, so um, the last thing you said was, um, unless they want to change, they're not going to change. And so I was thinking of verse 8 in Second Peter 1. It says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren. So whether we're in this class or we're in the church, in the sanctuary, listen to a message or being counseled one-on-one, everything that we're hearing, if we don't take it to heart, meaning the one that's being counseled or you're listening to God's word, Unless you take it to heart and apply it to your life, it's not going to make a difference. So you have to make it yours. Right. God, oh, I wish that person was here to listen to this. God is talking to you. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yes. On, I mean, in Second uh, Peter mm-hmm. chapter, uh, I mean, verse ten, mm-hmm. about, <clears throat> where it says. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So everybody's not elected. That's correct. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay, so I just get confused about that. That's right. Yeah, so uh, what, what the Bible would teach is that God has elected, chosen uh, a group of people whom He would save from before time began. It says that in Ephesians 1. Uh, Titus 1 and other passages that um, uh, in the uh, omniscience of God which of course is a mystery to us uh, he knew all of who he would make and for the purposes of his own glory putting his both his wrath and his grace and all of the attendant attributes on display he chose some whom he would save of his own will. He didn't choose based on what we've done. He didn't choose based on what he perceived us to do, whether whether he perceived us to believe. He chose us solely on the basis of his sovereign will. Uh, and then he, by contrast, uh, overlooked those who uh, he didn't choose who would 
receive his wrath so that his wrath would be on display uh, for his glory. And so all those who are chosen will come to faith in Christ. Um, and no one comes to faith in Christ apart from having first been chosen of God. And so the gospel proclamation is uh, universal. It goes out. Uh, Paul says in Acts 17 when he's preaching um, in Athens that Christ stands in heaven declaring to all people everywhere to, to repent and trust in Christ. So it's a universal call that goes out. But uh, it is only those whom God has chosen in whom the Spirit works uh, to give them new life and give them the ability to believe. So it, a believer, a, a Christian, is one who has been chosen of God. Now, the, the challenge for us is we don't necessarily know, not necessarily, we don't know who has been called, who has been chosen. And even, th this is where there's mystery, even when someone has professed faith in Christ, uh, though we can legitimately and rightfully have assurance of salvation, uh, there is some degree of mystery because we know that there are some who have professed faith in Christ, but then eventually turn away from Christ. Um, so there's mystery in it. But from our human perspective, based on the fact that we can only hear what people say and we can only observe the manifestation of people's lives, uh, we can discern in a limited way who is truly a believer. But from God's perspective, He knows who He's written in the book of life, who He's chosen. And so, um, you know, it's, it's been said that the gates of heaven, this is not literally true, but uh, it's been said that the gates of heaven has on, on the front of it as you're, as you're walking toward it, the, the statement, whosoever will, you know, whosoever will believe can, can enter in. But then on the back side it says, uh, you know, whoever's been chosen or, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that, uh, that only those who uh, have been chosen are the ones who are saved. So I could be talking to somebody and they're not one of the chosen. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that. That's right. So we just keep. That's right. So. Right. Yeah, we're commanded to, to proclaim the gospel to all people without any concern, really, for who's who's elected and who's not. Because he'll work it all out. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking my sister. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a mystery, um, but what it it's re, it's necessary. It's a necessary truth because of what the scripture says is true about us as human beings that we are fallen, dead in our sin, hostile to God, mm -hmm. and that apart from God's redeeming sovereign grace, uh, none of us would be saved because we all deserve his wrath uh, so the only reason any of us believe and are saved is because God in his infinite wisdom and mercy has chosen to save us not anything that we have done ourselves it's, I know it's a tough tough doctrine yeah, yeah. I, I listened to R.C. Sproul about it a couple of times but yeah yeah but every time it comes up I just like to ask about it yeah so yeah because it is a mystery yeah. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah. And the first time I heard it, I'm like, oh, I need to read this again. I need to look at this again. Yeah. And then just thank you, Lord, you know, for choosing me. You know? Yeah. And just keep praying for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. All right, well, let me pray and we'll be done.